back in the saddle here post Thanksgiving. This is Sean Zock, joined shortly by Dylan DeChair. This is the Drop Zone. Hopefully, you all have cleared the tryptophan from your systems and you are wide awake today, ready for Chris Como. You obviously know him from his work with Tiger Woods for a number of years, but as we knew and we found out again, there is much more to Chris Como than Tiger Woods. You really should get to know more about him. He is an immensely talented thinker. But before we get to that, this episode is brought to you by Whoop. You've heard us talk a lot about Whoop this entire month. It is a fitness tracker. You wear it on your wrist. It tells you everything you need to know about your body and how it's healing, recovering. The wristband is free. You just pay a monthly subscription and you can get a discount on that because you know me. It is DropZone, D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E at Whoop.com. It'll get you 15% off your subscription. Check it out now. We present Mr. Chris Como. Alrighty, we are joined now by Chris Como, Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher. I learned yesterday that you were the youngest Top 100 teacher at some point. Ever? Yeah. I, 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 so that was announced yesterday at some point. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'd News heard that, to you. Huh? Well, I, I'd heard that before, but then I also heard that maybe Mike Adams was way, I, I don't know. Way I don't know if that's yeah. factual or not. I'll take it though. Well, hey, thanks for joining yeah. us. Uh, people know you from your work with Golf Channel. You've got a show of your own, Swing Expedition. People also know you from your work with Tiger Woods, Bryson, Jamie Lovemark. Uh, I Trevor think... Immelman. Oh, yeah? When Trevor. were you working with Trevor? I uh, still am. Um, nice. Yeah. Trevor's a good friend of mine and... Um, Trevor's uh, has an interesting problem in life that he's so good with TV, but he's still yeah. a great golfer. He's so great he's, on TV. He's really good on TV. So he's kind of in between still playing and then obviously doing the TV stuff. So he actually but, had a pretty good year last year, didn't he? he? he like he's had moments. Like uh, I mean, he was obviously a great player, won the Masters in yeah. 2008, I believe, and uh, had some rough years. But he's kind of dug his way out of it, and he has moments where it's like, okay, this guy can could probably play some really good golf still, but. Um, you know, he's kind of the that Tony age. Romo, Romo problem. Yeah. Romo could be starting for like 24 NFL teams right now. You think so? Really? Wow. Come on, Dylan. Right No, I think crazy? 24 is a lot. It does feel like he retired prematurely though, right? Yes, for sure. I'm not a big football person, but he, he definitely did, but probably with a good thought in mind. Cause he's addicted to golf. Yeah. He, oh, has, yeah. he has a great TV career. He's a hell of an announcer. Yeah. Get, getting your body and your mind away from collision. It's probably a smart move. Yeah, so. that's why I took myself out of consideration like before the draft. <laughs> uh, Immelman, actually, the, the 08 Masters is wild because I kind of went back and I charted the performance of Masters champions over like the last 25 years, just where they made their birdies, where they made their bogeys, et cetera, all over the course. And it's very predictable. Obviously, Tiger owned the par fives. And a lot of people who win end up owning the par fives. Uh, Danny Willett played even par on the par fives when he won. But hmm, Immelman. Immelman. Par fours. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. So I think Immelman won at like nine under. And he was like he was like 12 under on the par fours that week. Something like that. Basically, he was ball striking his wow. ass off. Wow. And uh, I don't know. Do you Does that agree with his game, do you think? Is that his strong suit? Or where would you put his yeah, strong suit? Yeah, I think suit? when he's when he when he's on all cylinders – he's potentially one of the, the better iron players that we've seen in a long time. Like mm. He just has that knack, that sort of almost connection to the target where he'll just go on stretches where it's just flag seeking. So, mm. you know, 
that doesn't surprise me that that he was kind of eating up the the par fives potentially. It's par a fours huge, potentially, yeah, par a threes. huge anomaly in those those stats because the par fives at Augusta are just those are the holes, man. You got to yeah. get those holes. But that was his game. Guys like uh, Nick Price, I think even Jesper Parnovic, they were kind of notorious for getting hot with their ball striking and just like flag hunting. Yeah, so, yeah, that's so, that's Trevor. Those are those are kind of two throwbacks. How how much about the game's history have you dived into? Are you a fanatic when it comes to golf history and ancient golf swings in the way that like Brando brings that stuff out to live from and Yeah, I was gonna say less maybe um the history of golf in general, but from a swing perspective, just like studying old swings for sure. And and not even kind of like this conscious like I'm going to, you know, try to understand the history of the golf swing, just like a, a very organic sort of curiosity of reading books from different eras, looking at swings from different eras and be like, why did they work? So is it tough? Like, are there, are there barriers in your way to learning about the golf swings? Like there's only so much video footage and there's only certain types of video footage, whether it's straight on or down the line. Like mm. what are the barriers to actually learning what the hell Sam Snead did really well? Or Yeah. I mean, I guess it def- depends on how you define the barriers. I mean, ideally you know, it'd be cool to have Sam Snead's swing on 3D with force plates and super high-speed cameras. Yeah. I mean, that'd be amazing, right? Yes. And that's kind of one of the cool things about, like, this era is that we're going to have some of that, if you will, data, right? We're going to have some of these really good players, Roy McElroy's, whoever, um, captured on 3D and their force plates and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, all this sort of technologies, trackman, whatever. Um, so it gives us kind of a, a lens to, to go a little bit deeper in understanding what makes their swing work. Um, guy like Snead, we got some good video, decent video. Yeah. You do with it what you can. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, some some probably speculation that goes into certain things, but that's okay too. And mm-hmm. I think that's where if you do kind of use technology, you're not just using it for that particular person in front of you or that particular lesson. You're also, I think, using it to for your own education and to even develop your eye mm-hmm. so that when you look at video without the technology, you're still able to kind of maybe to, you know, induce some of the things that person is doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, from all the experience with using a trackman or force player or whatever. How did you first get into this whole world, golf instruction of golf teaching? Um, you know, I started the game kind of late, like when I was 16 and, um, always loved sports, been fairly good sports and I played a lot of hockey and I got a job at a, at a driving range, Westlake Village Golf Course to pay for my golf balls. I'm a first generation golfer. So Mm -hmm. no one in my family plays golf. Um, and in my mind, I was going to expedite the process of getting better at golf by just like reading everything and getting lessons from people. And, um, you know, maybe a little bit misguided, but in my mind at the time, it sort of made sense. So I just started kind of digging into a bunch of different instruction books and was just like a ball beater got pretty good reasonably quickly. Um, you know, went down some paths that probably didn't quite fit me um, for my own swing and instruction, all that. Um, but yeah, I think very early on, I just thought, okay, this is super interesting. Like there's all, you go into Barnes and Nobles and there's all these different books um, on, on the swing. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me was that you could get books from a variety of different, you know, people who are considered the top teachers out there. Mm-hmm. And the opinions would be pretty varied. Yeah. Yeah. And that struck me as like, okay, what's going on here? And I think early on, that was a big sort of motivation of me to really kind of go deep into you know, trying to figure out, are there some commonalities, um, you know, in the yeah. golf swing or whatever. Was there a a moment when you're like, playing isn't going to be my future, teaching, coaching is my passion or my future, or that's what gets me going? 
Um, I think deep down inside you, I kind of knew that. Um, really? Pretty, yeah. Like, it's like I was okay player, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you start to get around some people are like, wow, that guy's really good. Um, and now in hindsight, it's like I had no shot. But like there was a time where it's like I wanted to play. I think deep down inside, I knew that was probably a very low probable scenario. Yeah. Um, and then even even when I was competing a bit, um, you know, I'd be helping other people that I was playing with with their swing. So I just I just really kind of liked that side of it. I ended up dislocating my shoulder playing hockey. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And that sidelined me from playing golf, just kind of a random playing some pickup hockey, roller hockey game. Oh, shit. Yeah. That was it. Might have been a league. Might not have been pickup. It was like kind of this league I had joined for a bit. Nice. But, um, you a good player? I was okay. I was okay. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, here's your answer. So I had to stop playing golf, and I just got really into teaching in that window. And, you know. Left shoulder or right shoulder? Left shoulder. Okay. So how about now? How much golf do you play now? Very little these days. Yeah, I played a little bit this summer, which was fun. Yeah, I had a little bit of downtime, but going to this time of year, you know, I, I travel a lot for work, and I don't really feel like traveling with my clubs from random city to random city. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we just talked to Susie Whaley yesterday, and she said that when you get in the golf industry, you know, it's very cliche that you play less than you did when you were not in the golf industry. Yeah, um, but she said that. It's not that you can't do it. It's not that you have less time. It's that you just haven't prioritized golf. And I think that that's what you that's just right. said. It's like, I yeah. just kind of don't like lugging my clubs everywhere. The yeah. rounds are probably available to you at some point, but if it's not a priority, then it's not. And you're a busy man. I mean, we live in Manhattan. It's a pain to, I used to live on a fifth floor walk up in Manhattan, tight hallways, narrow staircase. And you know, I could have, you could have the best vacation golf trip, whatever, but when yeah. you get home and then you have to get around these tight corners, like lugging a 50 pound golf bag, you're like, why the hell did yeah, I it do sucks. this? It's yeah. awful. Uh, it's, it's crazy though. Because like when I, I've been practicing a bit more, I've been doing the show and just kind of hitting balls for that or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, man, if I start practicing, it's like, this is fun. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love it's really hitting fun. balls. I love playing the game. Um, I think it's one of those things when you don't for a while, it's kind of like, okay, you're busy. It's like, you got to do others, yeah. whatever. But as soon as I start to get into it again, I, I, it's, it's crazy how you get the bug pretty quick. It's kind of like, like he's getting the bug in front of us yeah. right now. Yeah, like it's, it's happening. <laughs> I, I kind of see it for me as some like similar to weightlifting where, or, mm-hmm. or like staying in shape, being in shape where it's a momentum thing. Yes. It's such a momentum thing. If you do it for a week, you're like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. But if you hit that three week vacation, like, getting oh, back into it, it's yeah. like, oh man. Well, once you're bad at it, then it's less fun. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. But if you do it more and then, yeah, you're better at it. Then you're like, okay. this. Yeah. So you are a busy man. A lot of that is for some TV work with your show, Swing Expedition. Are you enjoying the life of a TV personality? Is it, is it what you expected it to be? Are you having fun with it? Um, I like doing the shows. Yeah, they're great. Like, uh, I think the structure of it just kind of really fits what I enjoy, which is, um, interacting with other coaches, learning from them, riffing with them, kind yeah. of like just just talking to another coach that I have a lot of respect for that I think's got some great stuff, coming up with kind of, not we don't really script it out, but sort of like creating an arc for what we want to talk about on the show. And then just going out there and basically talking golf instruction, which is like one of my favorite things to talk about. So it really, it's, it's a lot of fun for me to do. Um, I like the challenge of it because I, I, like, I have no experience in front of a camera really. Mm-hmm. So just doing something new I think is kind of fun and exciting because you're trying to learn like a new skill set um tv personality stuff i don't know i don't even feel like there's 
I mean, I don't, it's not like. You don't feel like you're a TV personality. Yeah, like, no. I mean, once in a while at a golf course, like a sure. course or a tournament, like, you know, people will be like, oh, I like your show and stuff, but, you know. Well, honestly, the way you guys go about it, I was watching a number of clips this morning. Uh, it kind of, you know, the show The Shop on HBO with LeBron sitting yep. in the barbershop chairs talking to a bunch of different mm. athletes and, and entertainers. And they kind of prompt each other with questions that they are intrigued by. I think watching golf instructors prompt each other with in, in, with questions is very yeah. intriguing. It's very entertaining because we're all trying to figure out this damn this damn game, you right? Know? And you <laughs> and, guys think so much about it too, right? Yeah, and so you're almost you're working together to reach the answer that is could be a number of answers. Really, you're all trying to solve the same puzzle. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the concern is always: are we going to get kind of too sort of out there, and it's yeah. not going to be accessible to people who are just trying to improve their game? But this is what we talk ahead of time. We're like, okay, we always got to be thinking in the context of what's something that's like usable for just a recreational golfer yep. watching, um, and trying to find that balance where you know still giving some of the opportunity to be a fly on the wall and listen in on you know, two people who are super passionate about instruction mm-hmm. and maybe some golf swing nerdy stuff at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. You can get deep in the, the jargon. Gankus yesterday. Yeah. When he just starts rattling off things within a swing. Yeah. He's like abductor, A5 or whatever. Like, it just like, it yeah, feels yeah. like flexion, it's cupping. It's not your language. Yeah. It's not my language. And I think sometimes it can be tricky, especially with the pace at which he talks. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. he knows his shit. Yeah, yeah. George is great. I mean, I do think you're always trying to kind of find the language that's going to best resonate with your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's the whole point of communication. So, you know, that's just one of the considerations that we're always trying to have when we're doing these episodes is, you know, get deep to a certain extent so people can feel like they're actually sitting in on something with two guys just talking as they would mm-hmm. or, or females, you know, there's, we've had some females on the show and we're going to continue to have some, um, but also making sure, you know, we're using languages, a language that's accessible to people watching to a variety of people. 2014, you're in the New York Times. Remember this? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Karen Krauss wrote an article about you. It says, it's easier to imagine Tiger Woods, who hadn't won a major since 2008. So it's easier to imagine Tiger Woods winning five more to pass Jack Nicklaus than to picture Como moonlighting as a TV personality or hosting his own reality TV instructional show. Oh, I didn't, I don't remember that. Look that, at you now. That's pretty hilarious. Oh, whoa, that's wild. Yeah. yeah. I mean, now that Tiger's winning majors in five years ago, yeah, now shows. Tiger's winning majors, you're a TV personality. So, whoa, Karen kind of anti called it. I yeah. Yeah. I want to know what stock she picks and go the other way. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just kidding, Karen. No, yeah. I understand good. your position. I get it. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Things have changed for you, I guess. What, What's been the arc of your, I don't know, recent instruction career? Well, maybe we should start earlier, I guess, rather than just getting into recency. I want to talk about getting into Tiger, too. Well, I'll give you the recent one, then we can go back sure. if yeah. you want. Uh, I mean, recently, just like basically my instruction looks like uh, I'm the director of instruction at Dallas National, so I do some stuff there. Um, I do some stuff out of Golf and Body in New York. But really? You guys, oh, yeah. I've been out there quite Why a bit. Why did I know that? Yeah. Um, yeah, come see you there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm there quite a bit. Great people over there. Um, I'll go out on tour a bit uh, with Jamie, um, Bryson, DeChambeau. Um, I do a lot of stuff with you know, Bryson and his coach, his longtime coach, Mike Shy. We have this really cool relationship where we're all kind of like working together. Nice. Um, so I'll do some stuff with them and go out on tour a little bit with, with them and, and then also uh, with Jamie. And then um, 
and then the show. So basically a little of, you know, teaching kind of recreational golfers, which yeah. I love uh, doing some of the tour stuff and then doing some of the show stuff. You're busy. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like having the type of people I teach to be pretty diversified. Like to me, that, okay. that keeps it fun. Like I like teaching recreational golfers. I like teaching tour guys. Yeah. Like, I don't think I would ever want to go completely in one mm-hmm. direction or the other just because. Does that make you rare? Among, does that make you rare among the the group of prob- people? I don't know. Pro- I don't. I don't think it's probably that rare. Okay. I just like I see some people that really love just sticking with their tour folks. Mm. Um, and yeah, then other do you people- like being on tour? So we were, Ganka said he hates being on tour. Do you I, like being out there? I mean, it's a tough question. I I do like. I love the people that I work with. So that's fun. I'm trying to figure out ways to travel a little bit less. Yeah. Um. And. As a function of being on tour, you're traveling a lot. So I don't think it's about like not liking being on tour. I'm just you know I've been traveling a lot for a long time. So yeah, if I can kind of be efficient with that is is I guess the better way to say it. Are we flying Delta United? Who's your airline? Uh, a lot of a lot of American out American. of Dallas. They have a hub okay. there. So are you? Are we asked Susie Whaley yesterday? Are you a uh, a window seat or an aisle seat? Person? I'm an aisle seat person. Damn. Yeah. Wow. I'm learning more and more that. People are more aisle than window. Really? I think. More com- I mean, I'm a w- uh, window guy. Ride or die Why? with the window. Because I don't like. I need to. I don't like getting up it. for people to get out from you know the window seat. Uh, yeah. Or the bathroom. The whatever. bathroom. I am able to generally refrain from going to the bathroom on planes. See, I, see, I, I drink so much water. I drink <laughs> a, a, an enormous amount of water. Like I'm trying to drink f- like three to four liters a day. And if I have it, like I'll down water in the morning too. So if I have an early flight, yeah, I'm the, if I had a window seat, I would be the most annoying uh, person. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's sort yeah. of like on the TB12 you method. You found your good spot. Yeah. Yeah. You drink water a lot. It sounds like it's a, a purposeful thing. Yeah. I would say so. I need to drink more water. Yeah. Yeah. All the also, smart, probably, all smart people drink a lot of water and it's just healthy. It like flushes. Yeah. Like, and just, also sitting in one seat without moving for like a cross country flight. Also <sighs> impressive skill. Probably not great for you. Yeah. yeah. That's true. I'm, I'm so, I'll get up. Like I'll walk to the back. I'm just like, can't sit still. I'm like totally eating <laughs> on the plane. So, uh, you mentioned Bryson and you kind of have a, a, three a triangle of sorts of such a modern relationship <laughs> yeah <laughs> An open like relationship type deal yeah kind of but like is that tricky it has to be in some on some level tricky for all three of you maybe to talk about you're, you're really kind of your one goal is to have bryson become successful and i'm sure that there are, will be some disagreements along the way and Maybe where someone goes 60 and you go 40. I don't know. What is that like to have a triangular relationship of some sort when when most of them are just one coach and player? Yeah, I mean, I think it's only tricky from the perception of people, really. Okay. In execution, it hasn't been tricky at all. I mean, I think the thing that's sort of unique to Bryson and then even myself and Mike is that you know, none of us are going into it with some sort of dogma of like, this is what you need to do or this is okay. how you need to swing. It's more about like this discovery of you know, what goes into just that upper echelon of ball striking. And that's Bryson's goals is just to be one of the best ball strikers really of all time. Um, and Mike's just a really smart guy who's a great problem solver. Um, Bryson's a really smart guy who's a great problem solver. And to me, it's just fun getting in there with them and seeing if we can figure stuff out. And it's just very much um, kind of like this dialogue. And at the end of the day, Bryson's calling the shots. So yeah. it's more of like you know, me and Mike putting it, our input in, you know, sometimes we'll discuss things on the side or whatever. 
And then at the end of the day, Bryson's just being like, hey, this is what I think is the best strategy for this window of time. And he is not afraid to call an audible. So yeah. um, at least in this instance, it works It works out really nicely. Something tells me that you're, uh, you're the kind of person who would like a player who is, is not afraid to call an audible, who is not afraid to continue doing things in one way at all times. As you get more information, it makes sense to make some sort of update yeah. on what your what your strategy is, just in general and anything in life. As you get more information, you probably will, the way you're going about things should have some version of an update. Mm-hmm. And you know, Bryson's really good at doing that. As more information comes in, he's going to make little tweaks that he feels like re- represent better mm-hmm. in his strategy. What that added information has given him. So. Is he more advanced at doing that or better at that than other people you've worked with? Um. Or- yeah, I mean, I would just say, you know, he's just, yeah, he's just a very curious, smart, problem-solving type mind. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know if he's, I mean, I'm sure he's probably better at it than a lot of people, yeah. but he's also more inclined to, to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that's a function of Do you think that's important? That was more of my question. Do yeah. you think it's important that he is that way. I think it's important for him. Yeah. Like he's just got one of those minds that's so curious that's just like, it, you know, if you were to tell him, you know, don't think so much, like it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. like you got to know what you're dealing with too, sure. right? So like, yeah. you know, it's it, sometimes the, the cliches are just not going to fit the person in front yeah. of you. Makes sense. Think less, you know, just whatever. It's like, right. Just that ain't going to happen. I <laughs> mean, it's watching him warm up at tournaments is it's just a completely different animal. I remember, spending some time just standing behind he and Steve Stricker. Stricker was just him and his wife, who's his caddy, just the two of them, you know, smoothing irons out there for a while and uh, sort of just staring curiously over at Bryson next to him because Bryson had a team of literally 12 or 13 people with him. Everyone kind of had a role. You know, you got guys lying down on the ground in front of him, like, taking like slow-mo camera shots of, have you gotten on the ground for bryson <laughs> that's off the record no comment <laughs> that's great um i mean he can become like a caricature people it's so easy for people to just be like oh he's this mad scientist but there is some truth that he seems like a different kind of guy to work with right yeah what's what's the biggest difference with him um you know, he's intense. He's just, he'll sit out there as long as it takes to feel like he's made progress with a particular goal. Um, I think a lot of people will oftentimes be like, okay, let's just try again tomorrow if things aren't exactly right. And that may not be a bad strategy. For some people, that's actually a really good strategy. Sometimes you just got to be like, hit the reset button. Um, I mean, I think, what was that, the British Open a few years ago? He was like out there till like it was dark yeah, or something. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even at, I was at the Memorial last year. He was winning the tournament, and yeah. he was Saturday night, last guy on the range, basically having like a meltdown on the range because <laughs> he couldn't figure out something about his driver, and then he went on to win. Yeah, like he just, you know, if, if there's something that's not quite fitting for him, he's going to exhaust as many options as he can given as much time as is yeah. really realistic. And, mm-hmm. and the way he defines realistic time is probably a little bit different than other people because yeah. if it's dark, he'll, he'll still be out there oftentimes. Now, I think, unfortunately... Uh, if this bothers you, we can do something else. But I know anytime anyone interviews you, they want our, our viewers would want us to ask about Tiger. And uh, I'm curious if Tiger is similar to Bryson in any of those ways. Um, 
the willingness to, to call an audible, the willingness to dive into any minute like detail that is bothering him, is bothering you. Uh, do you see any similarities between those two? Um, yeah. I mean, they're both, again, Tiger's very smart, very curious-minded person. I don't think Tiger, at this point of his career and where his body's at, can do the long days. Yeah. And I think that's actually part of, of, of his intelligence is, is really understanding that and understanding the parameters of his body and then working within that. But given those constraints, he is very much the type of person to dig in. And, you know, what I would say is in terms of like the detail and the nuance, he has as much of a connection to like the, the subtleties of his body yeah. from anybody I've ever been around. Like he's just a freak in terms of his connection to his body. It's really, it's really wild. Yeah. Like what, is there a good example of like a body part that he pinpointed something to you? Like, why, why are you feeling that? Or yeah, I mean, he can, he'll be just you know, like, Oh, like I can feel something a little bit off here. And just like, just talking about like just very nuanced stuff with like the way his hands work. He's so in touch with his hands. That's um, wild. Yeah. It's really, really cool. I mean, just the, the level of like detail that he'll talk about something in his body or what he feels. It's just, it's, it's at another level. I wonder if that's innate, born quality, or how the hell that's developed. Man. I mean, it can, it can be both be true, right? It can be yeah. somewhat innate. It can be somewhat developed. I mean, I think for as incredible he is, yeah. it's probably a parlay of a lot of different things that yeah. have kind of created this this, yeah. this outcome that's, you know, the best to one in a hundred year sort of thing that we're yeah. seeing. It's interesting seeing he and Bryson become kind of tight. You know, they play a bunch of practice rounds together. Um, what do you think it is about Tiger that seems to make him particularly friendly with you know these more thoughtful guys yeah because he's thoughtful he's he's an intellectually curious person um so i think he likes interacting with people who can stimulate him in that regard is that what drew him to you um i mean yeah we had some you know i don't know i can't really answer for him but i mean i think we had some good conversations early on and um we just kind of were on the same page with like an overall kind of game plan big picture with stuff basically you know the way you swung it in 2000 is, in my opinion, that was the gold standard of, of a golf swing. One of the best swings, best ball striking we've ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get as close to that given sort of the parameters of what your body can currently do? And that sort of from at a high level was was the overall game plan. And, uh, yeah, you know, we just kind of connected early on. So. so is that 2000 Tiger Woods swing, the best ball striking we've ever seen, is that sustainable over the course of like a five-year period? Is it – is it something that you try to try to have for one year? Like, cause he had it for only a certain time and certain things were happening in his life. He was committed to crazy workouts. You know, how sustainable is that thing? Like if, if you were essentially in a video game creating the perfect golfer and you were able to get them to swing that way, plant them into the real world, how long can that last? I don't know. I mean, it's sort of a hypothetical question, so there's no real precedent for it, but I do think in today's era with technology, the likelihood of, of sustaining that for a longer period of time is actually higher. And yeah. the reason I say that is because, you know, again, this is where I think there's a little bit of a misconception of how to use technology. But if a guy is playing really well, okay, one of the things I'll do is let's get your trackman numbers, let's get your force play data, let's get your 3D now and put it in a vault. Yeah, keep it. For when maybe it gets a little bit off. So now all of a sudden, if you have all this sort of like objective me- objective measurement of what a person's doing when they're playing really well and they start to kind of phase out of that a bit, 
you can be like, okay, this is what's going on that's different. Mm -hmm. Let's try and get you back to the space that we know, you know, at some level works really well for you. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, going forward, the use of technology, if, if a scenario like Tiger 2000 were to occur again with yeah. whoever, yeah, I think they probably have um, a better chance yeah. of staying in that space for a longer period of time yeah. if they're using the tools, um, you know, different tools correctly, in my opinion. Yeah, I just, I guess I see it as in 2000, Tiger would have been... 23, 24. I'm always curious if that's just like a peak. It's a peak that you can reach in your 20s, but maybe you can't do it in your 30s. Or if you think that the technology has allowed us that we could see someone who's 33 reach that level. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously you're going to have some moment that you're going to say it's as best as it's yeah. ever going to be and you can't, it's not going to get better than that, whatever. But like, you know, I'm talking about like how close to that's reasonable where you're still winning at an yeah. extraordinary rate. Maybe it's a little bit less than, you know, a certain window of time or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think I think it's probably unreasonable to say that you're going to play, um, if you played your best golf at 23, that when you're 35, that, you know, it's going to be exactly the same. Yeah. But try and get it as close as possible. Yeah, never Did know. you learn or observe anything about Tiger that where you're like, Tiger does this, nobody else does this? I mean, I guess you mentioned his... He's so in touch with the way his body feels, but is there anything else about the way he prepares, practices? Um, the way he talks about just playing a round of golf, um, there's a lot of things that were super insightful. <clears throat> I don't know. If, I don't know if I can really. <laughs> there's certain Share stuff. Share them just, all. Yeah, Tell us I know. all of them. He, I mean, he's still competing, so there's a lot of things that I mean he said that I thought were just like, wow, that's gold. Yeah. Um. You know, the way he would, it, it's interesting because you go to like, you know, kind of some of the motor learning people and they talk about like, you know, having a lot of variability in their practice and he would do a lot of stuff that I don't think he was current with like the research in that regard, but like basically doing what people advocate for the way he practiced, really kind of mixing things up, constantly hitting different shots, taking the same club, hitting different shots with it. Mm -hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, just developing his, whatever you will, his brain, his coordination to be able to solve um, a problem, whether it be a chip shot from 10 yards off the green or whatever, a variety of ways. And I think that sort of like robust kind of problem solving ability allows them to better deal with the realities of just playing around the golf. Is that like playing, does he play games with himself or he's competitive with himself on the range or he's just sort of like doing research? It's, 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 yeah, I mean, it's it's maybe it's research. I I, I almost don't want to call it research because it was it was he's like playing. It's like really playing. He's like just yeah. a kid playing out there, hitting weird shots, um, kind of experimenting with stuff. So I guess you could call it research. But it was it was research in this in the way that like you know a kid explores like something. It's just very explorative. I mean, it just when he's got a club in his hand, it's just it's it's a it really is a, a very unique thing to kind of witness. Did you ever play golf with him? I never actually played. I would hit some shots every now and then, but you know, I was I was working. Yeah, I was I, I, for whatever reason. In my mind, I feel like I usually kind of separate the two a little bit. I think that's just fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. Alrighty, good time for a slight break from Chris. Como is tapped into the many ways a golfer's body speaks to itself. The things that you can do with your muscles and your movements within the swing—it's complex stuff. He knows it really well, but that stuff—it doesn't have to be as complex. Whoop is a fitness tracker that likes to tell you all kinds of complex stuff about your body, but do it in a simple way. Just looking at my app right now, I didn't do much yesterday. I have recovered 85% from what I did yesterday. And right now my body is very ready for some high strain activity. 
later today, so I'm going to go play some basketball, do a lot of running up and down the floor. Sometimes it's hard to know exactly what your body is ready for. When I play a bad round of golf, I'm always so pissed off at myself, but then I check out Whoop, and wow, of course, I got like five hours of sleep last night. It was really light sleep. I didn't get into any deep or REM sleep, and my body just wasn't ready to peak performance today. That's some of the genius behind Whoop. Believe me, it is helpful stuff for those of you who just want to treat your body seriously and take a very serious look at it. So take me seriously. Use the promo code DROPZONE, D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E, at whoop.com, 15% off your subscription. I will love you for it. You will love me for it. It is worth it. Check it out. Now, back to Chris Como. How about uh, when he comes to you for the position? I think you have to uh, forgive me, but I was surprised at the move. I think a lot of people in golf were like, who is Chris Como? Mm. <laughs> um, and then we figured out who Chris Como was. But how intimidating is it to be approached by someone? It has to be intimidating for the greatest golfer of all time to say, I'm really going to put a lot of faith in you. Mm. Was it intimidating? Um, I mean, it's surreal. Um I think it's intimidating for the brief moments that you kind of are thinking about it, but then eventually pretty quickly you're just doing it. And then, yeah. and then it didn't just becomes, this is just what I do. Like, I mean, cause That's you awesome. know, I've been teaching golf now for, I guess, 21 years ish. Um, so like I'd already been teaching a lot. I mean, I've, and I've, I was always been like a very high volume teacher, you know, had done a lot of the grad school stuff in biomechanics with uh, Dr. Kwan. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it was just like, this is what I do. So, I mean, I think, you know, pretty quickly you just get into the environment and you're just, you're just rolling up your sleeves and, and yeah. kind of doing what, what for me feels like very comfortable just teaching. Anything, coaching. did any, was there any like ridiculously surprising aspect you're like, oh, I did not expect this to come with the territory of coaching Tiger Woods. Like, either it be at a tournament or some, you know, crazy media requests. Was there something like, holy cow, not necessarily sticker shock, but like, wow, this yeah. is what it's going to be like now. Yeah, I just think the, you know, kind of being in, in that sort of environment, that limelight or whatever, like, it's not that I didn't expect it, just actually experiencing it's different. They could just, it's hard to really kind of know what that's like until you experience it. I mean, I think when he had the chipping yips, that was obviously unexpected. You know, yeah. I went into all that, working with him, thinking that this is going to be incredible. I'm going to learn from one of the best short game artists of all time. Right. No way in hell will I ever, like, touch his short game or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, he had kind of um, that window where he was struggling with it. And yeah. it was... It was uh, it was it was wild, right? It was wild. Was that connected to his pain? Do you think? I mean, what was the origin story there behind uh, the chipping? Yips? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that went into it. And obviously, his body was something that he was kind of always in and out of struggling with. You know, if you look at the Masters, uh, I guess what was it, 2017? Um, you know, he had a couple of really great pitch shots when he came back from having like really being the yips. So, you know, I think he did a lot of the dirty work with the technique um, during that just falling that window when he was really struggling. So he really worked out of it. And I mean, the guy just never gives up. I mean, he's, it's what he's done is a remarkable story of inspiration, in my opinion, mm-hmm. like the guy, he just really never gives up. So, you know, I think he worked out a lot of the technique stuff. And then as the body kept getting better and better and better, that actually became like a big part of it as well. So what do you do when you see that happen? Like what's the first step in, Oh shit. Yeah, I know. Like you don't seem like you have a lot of panic in you. 
Yeah, that's I not mean, the sense I get, but how, that's a big problem all of a sudden. Yeah, I was panicking. <laughs> no, um, you just you know I cut it up. I cut up footage of him from basically every tournament I could get my hands on where he was hitting a pitch shot. I mean, I got hundreds and hundreds of a video of him, um, you know, stuff that was on the network or whatever of him hitting pitch shots over the years, and just really trying to kind of piece together like what is going on. Um, and then obviously there's, you know, variables of like his body or whatever that mm-hmm. are kind of hard to account for. But just from a pure technique perspective, just really trying to kind of, you know, see some of the differences. So, um, you know, what did I do? I just, again, like, what are you going to do? You got to roll up your sleeves and, and, you know, each day try to do the best you can to try, yeah. to, try to help the situation. I've got just a couple more questions, but one of them in regards to Tiger is just, you no longer work with him. Um at least in any official capacity. And I think from an outsider's perspective, I think people are like, oh, well, darn, there goes like the peak of Chris Como. It's like he no longer works with Tiger Woods. We addressed Tiger for a lot of this podcast. I think it's probably on the top of your resume in some way. Is it weird to address like at this summit, people come to ask you about what it's like working with Tiger? It's, It's something in your past. Is it weird that something is in your past is such like a bright star and you don't know, you no longer work with it. Like you no longer can add to your work with tiger. Um, it's kind of a convoluted way of asking, what is it like to have something so serious to your golf career as a young guy be kind of in your past? Hmm. Um, I mean, working with him made me a way better coach. So at the end of the day, if what I have in front of me is coaching people the best of my ability, I'm, a way better coach now than I was before I worked with him. Um, so if anything else, I would just say it's, 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 you know, it depends on how you define kind of like moments in your life. To me, I feel like it, it's made me better at what I do. So I look at it within that context. Like I think for people that I have the opportunity to, to work with going forward, whether it be Bryson or Jamie or whoever, or a recreational golfer or, you know, collegiate players, I'm I'm better for them because of that experience. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I got nothing but but thankfulness for yeah. it. Um I feel like, you know, what I'm enjoying doing right now in part is the content side of stuff. Um, you know, I have some some background in, in doing stuff with science and research. I have stuff with working with recreational golfers. I've worked with some of the best players in the game of all time. So taking kind of all of those experiences together and putting it in a way that I can kind of hopefully share with other people through content, um, that's really fun for me. Yeah. So I think, you know, two parts to it. One, it's helped me be a better coach for anybody I work with going forward. And two, it's really given me, I, I feel, a nice background to create some good content to share with the world, which is, is again, a lot of fun for me. So That's one question I love asking people. And we ask a lot of golfers that, like Trevor Immelman, great example. Trevor, the top of your resume is something that happened over 10 years ago. Like, what is it like to continue trying to be the best you can be tomorrow, knowing that perhaps the greatest thing you've ever done was 11 years ago? That must, just mindset-wise, yeah. it must be tricky at times. But I think it also depends on, how, do you define goals just as like an accomplishment, yeah, exactly. right? Or do you define goals as ways to kind of get into your own zen and sort of like tap into your own like aptitude mm-hmm. and, and your own training experience. So to me, a, a lot of, um, you know, for me, goals are 
how do I just get the most out of myself? So in that regard, like what's happened in the past is, mm-hmm. is, is not relevant in that context. It's relevant in the sense that it gives me tools going forward. But, um, you know, that's kind of how I tend to look at it. I like that. That's do you, healthy. Do you see Tiger ever? You must see yeah. him at tournaments. Do yeah. you guys talk at all? I mean, yeah. I know with Team Tiger, it's a tight-knit crew. Tiger's cool, man. Yeah. He's a, he, you know, I mean, I think people are seeing more and more kind of uh, the side of him that, you know, a lot of people who have had a chance to be close to him have seen, which is he's a cool guy. He's a really nice guy. Um, I was out at the U.S. Open at Pebble, and I was, you know, with Bryson on the course with the practice when he played with Tiger. And we talked up quite a bit, and he's just a really cool, nice guy. So, yeah. You say Tiger's cool. He's like a chill, fun guy to be around. People are seeing that more and more. Bryson's getting a tough rap out there in the world. <laughs> but I've hung out with him, you know, a, a bit. And he's, I think he's more normal as a person, maybe not on the golf course, than people give him credit for. True or not true? Yeah. I mean, he's a normal guy. I mean, people are complex, right? Bryson's intense like he he gets maybe a bad rap just because he's willing to work really hard and he he wants to figure stuff out and you know everything's got sort of pros and cons to it so at the end of the day he's pretty good at figuring stuff out like i mean he's having a fairly solid career for how young he is so far right i think he's very underrated right now like part of the headlines that he has made uh on his own doing not necessarily swinging a golf club, I think have undone the fact that he's younger than a lot of like the people that we treat as. Like he's younger than Justin Thomas, yeah. younger than Spieth. He's got a different approach. He's fighting people on our Instagram comments. I know. So like some of that he has done to himself, but yeah, yeah. he's also won over five. To- I think five times already on the PGA Tour. Five times, yeah. Like crazy. There's there's. Less than In five a people. Tight who, period. Of yeah, time. there's less than five people who have done that at his current age. So and even with the, like the Twitter stuff, he's being authentic, right? Like, yeah. I mean, totally. No, I'm like, saying he's just he, being himself. I think. Yeah. The, it's oh, like it, you I mean, can't be right. In this what's he world. doing? He's mixing it up with some people, right? Yeah. Like, whatever. That's good. Like at the end of the day, this game is the reason why these guys make so much money is because people are watching. Like at the end of the day, they're entertainers. That's like yeah. what they get paid for, right? And Bryson's entertaining, so yeah. he brings more people. He brings more entertainment to people than a lot of like the cookie cutter PGA yeah. Tour pros too. Mm-hmm. And he's a good guy, right? He does a lot of stuff to help a lot of people. I mean, you should see him with like kids at tournaments. So it's like, look, people are complex, right? He's an intense guy when it comes to golf. Um, you get him away from the golf course, and he's super chill. So yeah. yeah, it's it is funny. Like, what can inspire such intense emotions in people? Like taking him two minutes over a putt. Yeah, man, people will turn on you hard. It's tough. The well, big picture of the world, yeah. not such a bad thing. We can leave it at that. Chris, thanks for joining us. If you had to give a shout out to your show and what people can get from watching you there, what where can be? we find you? What's, yeah. what's the? Uh... Yeah, I wish we could have talked about the show more. They, they sold hey. me. They sold me on talking about the show, not talking about Tiger and let, Bryson. Let, let's let's work it in then. <laughs> what 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 has you excited about the show right now? Or what uh, what are people getting from it that, that you think is super valuable? Uh, I think, you know, my opinion, there's so many great instructors in the world. Um, I think right now is the best time for someone to get a lesson. And just to kind of showcase all these people who I think are talented, whether it be, you know, teachers or people doing research or trainers, um, just kind of going around finding these guys who I know have some great stuff to help people get better at their game. That's exciting to me. That, yeah. That's fun. And, and that's sort of, you know, basically the essence of the show. 
So going forward, you know, like we filmed an episode at UT um, a few weeks ago where we did the, the UT men's golf team. I teach two, two of the kids that play on there, uh, Parker and Pearson Cootie. Oh, nice. Yeah, so so doing stuff with them, kind of seeing how they train their golfers was a lot of fun. Did one with Chuck Cook, which will air next year, which is a lot of fun. We did uh, recently we filmed one with Bryson and and his coach, Mike Shy. That was awesome. Um you know, next year, I think we got a, a lot of people that we're trying to get on. That will be really, really nice. cool. Yeah. The uh, Susie said in her, conver- in her presentation yesterday that only 10% of golfers get lessons. Is that right? Which is shocking to me. Yeah, but see, again, that's, that to me is, that needs to change. Well, what I just had yesterday, Gankus gave me my first ever lesson. Really? I know. It's it's kind of screwed up. And but look at you were hitting hooks by the end. I've never seen you hit a hook. <laughs> but I do think that that is... That is something that, I mean, I'm telling all my friends now. I always get hit up. What club should I buy, Sean? Because a lot of my friends are in their mid-20s, and they're kind of starting to come into a little bit of expendable wealth or some type of income that they can spend on golf. Yeah. And they're like, what should I do? Should I buy a $800 set of or maybe like the 2016 Callaway irons, whatever? And I have completely changed from telling them what clubs to buy, and I said, spend like $700 and get – two lessons or three lessons yeah. a week's worth of lessons yeah. that will make you enjoy the game so much more. Yeah. I mean, cause the reality of it is if you were to give like, you know, whatever Sam Snead, any set of clubs, like maybe there's a set that yes. fits him just right. But the reality is if you give him an awful set, he's still going to be like mm-hmm. a plus whatever. Right. So if you're doing the hierarchy of what's going to help you like play better, it's, it's going to be your technique and, and, uh, and watching know. Swing Expedition. And then Swing Expedition. How do you find... Or buying pink clubs. The only, ex- only exception would be with pink clubs. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a really, that's a really good point. Um, how do you that's define... Paul, I'm always thinking about you, but... <laughs> how do you define your own uh, kind of philosophy? Because it's interesting hearing you talk about really wanting to work with different minds in the game. I know you've been enjoying talking to other teachers this week. But there are some different factions in this world, right, of, of old school versus new school, guys that are 3D. Um, what are some of those factions and where do you fit in that picture? I mean, I just think that they, they can all be true at the same time type of thing. Like, you know, a person who has, let's say, well, okay, real quick, I'll just give my background. So like first part of my career, I, I basically traveled around, worked for a bunch of like big name teachers like I worked for Leber for a while worked for Haney for a bit spent a couple years with Macro Grady um, just trying to learn like all these different philosophies would travel to watch random people um, and I spent the first 12 years of my career sort of just doing that traditional path teaching yeah. at a driving range um, just teaching just building a, a book through word of mouth and I would say that was actually one of the best experiences I've ever had as a coach is just literally saying okay you can't pay your bills unless you help people get better and it's a very different style of teaching than even being an academy where you kind of get like a constant flow of people just as a function of the academy, right? Um, and then after about 12 years, I started going to grad school at night to do the biomechanics stuff just because I thought, okay, this is interesting. There's a need for it. These things aren't, they fit together. Yeah. That's sort of the problem. They're not I think, opposites. No, I think people put them at sort of a, a kind of a juxtaposition to each other, but they're not. They're mm-hmm. actually very sort of like synergistic. So, you know, you can draw upon these experiences of real world teaching, which I think an old school teacher, that's all they're saying. They're just saying, yes. hey, look, over a big period of time of giving a lot of lessons, I figured a lot of stuff out. And I will say from my own experience, there's a lot of stuff that I figured out in terms of just how to communicate to a person, how to teach a, a, a person 
while teaching on a driving range at mm-hmm. a, like a high volume that no amount of biomechanics or whatever can give you. Yes. You can't replace it. But it doesn't mean learning the biomechanics somehow takes away from that. Yes. Right? So the, the, they can both be 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 part of a, co- a coach's sort of tool set mm-hmm. at the same time. It's very interesting to hear you say that because five years ago at the Duke uh, University Top 100 Teachers Summit, we had Brandel up on stage with a microphone in his hand. We had uh, Brian Manzella in the crowd with a microphone in his hand. And I'll never forget this moment, Chris. You know, you remember it well, them going back and forth. You grabbed the mic and you just basically said what you just said. Mm. You're like, you know what, Brandon, you're very right about a lot of things. And Brian, you're very right about a lot of things. And they can be actually intermixed together mm. to be very true. You guys aren't in opposition as much as you think you are, or at least you're saying you are. And you kind of shut the room down. Mm. I don't know if you remember it this way, but that's how I recall it. I remember it vaguely, but like. <laughs> it, it, it just. It, Big compromise it, guy. I'm well, like, yeah. It was uh, just like, it was just like, guys. You aren't opposites. I, I think part of, to my point too, is when Brandon was like, you know, advocating for certain things in the swing. And, and to me, uh, um, you know, a big kind of contention that I always make is like, if you have a belief about something that happens in the swing, you really should be sort of trying to find observation that deviates from that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that still has the results that you're looking for. Okay. And that's just to me is, is sort of how do you stress test your own belief system? Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, both people can be right. Like there's different paths to success. There's multiple paths, multiple solutions to like solving problems oftentimes. Um, doesn't mean both people are always right. Like yeah. there's times when people go down bad paths and mm-hmm. I think you need to be kind of on. So, I, you know, to me in no way are you trying to like kind of placate to every sort of philosophy, but it's also like let's issue by issue look at things and see if they make sense yeah. as opposed to making any sort of generic blanket statements mm-hmm. about things. And yeah. I think that's when people start to get in trouble. Yeah, I want. I just wanted to talk about Gankus. I know that's your guy, right? Okay. Just, I mean, not about Gankus, but that's what made me think of that question of old school versus new school. Is like we were getting some lessons from him yesterday, and people were fascinated. But there's also some eye rolling from uh, you know some of these established teachers that have been around for a while because there is the sense that like I don't know who's this new school guy from Instagram. This guy's got a different approach. He's from California, like yourself. Do you, do you feel any of that? Is there any, like, do you agree with that, I guess? I mean, I don't know why any individual's eye-rolling, so I can't really speak to that. Um, I mean, I think in general, the reality of it is this. If, if a person's had some success with their teaching, whether it be Gankus or, you know, Mike Adams, who's been around since, like, I don't know, he's been around a long time, right? Yeah. In, in my opinion, one of the best teachers in the world. If they've had some success, like, you're better off trying to figure out why they've had success as opposed to being, like, dismissive of it because it mm-hmm. doesn't fit kind of the way you think a lesson should be given. So in general, I think that's a bad strategy for a teacher going into observing another teacher because, yeah, you can kind of block block it out and be like, oh, this is whatever because it's not how I do it. But it's like people go to, to whoever that person is for a reason. Try to figure out what that is. And mm-hmm. I think you have an opportunity for your own kind of uh, learnings if you go into it with that mindset. And then how about your own philosophy? How has it changed in recent years? And, and what are some of the biggest factors that have yeah. maybe led to change or, yeah yeah i mean i mean i think it's always changing right i mean that's a hard thing to kind of say like this or that i mean i do think as as time goes on it'd be it you know sort of naturally becomes harder and harder to like learn something new right okay. per se 
So I don't think it's this kind of like, oh, I learned this new thing. I mean, you are learning new stuff, but I think it's more just different ways to communicate with a person. At the end of the day, it's, it's sort of a, a people problem, right? You're dealing with a human being in front of you mm -hmm. and a variety of human beings who got all sorts of different like personality, whatever, right? And just how do you kind of connect and resonate with the different people that you're going to face is is something that that's obviously endless. That's the sort of the most complex problem that there is in the world yes. in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. So um, I just think that's you're always kind of growing in ways like that. I try to surround myself with people who I think are, are really, really smart and insightful. You know, on the science side of it, you guys got guys like Sasha McKenzie, mm -hmm. you know, Mike Duffy, Dr. Kwan, Dr. Young Hu Kwan, you know, teachers, guys like Mike Adams, whatever. But then even, even people outside of golf, like, a lot of the clients that I work with are really smart, successful people who have tons of insight in terms of how they deal with yeah. their own businesses. Yeah. So like, I mean, I, I feel like nothing's off the table in terms of what you can draw from um, to kind of, you know, evolve your own coaching. I bet you run into some interesting people at Golf and Body in New York yeah. that, that can't necessarily get to a driving range super quick or just comparative to Dallas yeah. where there's going to be fresh grass out in front of you at all times yeah. in the middle of Manhattan. That's not the case, but yeah. you have some of the most influential people in the world in the middle of Manhattan. Sure. Uh, I'm sure you run into some, some learnings, I guess, just from yeah. being there around some really interesting people. I mean, I'm around some really interesting people at Dallas national. So, I mean, there's some, the membership's pretty, pretty incredible with this, the, the quality of people that are there, just some great guys and women. But, uh, I mean, yeah, you're in New York. It's like, you're going to get some really unique. You like people. the city? I do like the city. It's interesting. It's an interesting place. So more so, wild. I gave a, uh, uh -oh. <laughs> I gave a, I gave a, a FaceTime lesson to Trevor Immelman uh, one time. Like he called me, and I'm walking down the sidewalk, and he, he was hitting balls. So I put the, the camera on the wall, like on just on a building. I started FaceTime, and I was doing like a golf swing. Oh my gosh! And uh, um, just like in the middle of the sidewalk, right? And people That's are kind of awesome. like looking at me, whatever. Yeah. And I'll, and I'm just like. It's one of those things where you, if you hear someone in New York saying crazy stuff, like, are, are they crazy? So I started nope. going, I'm like, I'm like, I'm giving a lesson to Trevor Immelman. I used to teach Tiger Woods. And everybody's just this like walking lost by his me mind. Like, <laughs> like, who is this crazy guy? <laughs> I mean, if you were in Times Square, you would fit in. There's very always well. someone doing something crazier than you in New York. It's kind of comforting, that, actually. I just totally fit in. Yeah. Like, oh, well, Chris, we can let you go okay. now. Thank you for joining us. This guys. has been a blast. Check out his show on Golf Channel. All good stuff happening there. Thanks, guys. All right. Major thanks to Chris Como. Absolutely fascinating guy to talk with. Also, thanks to Whoop for sponsoring the podcast this month. They've been great to partner with. You should check them out. Promo code DROPZONE, D-R-O-P-Z-O-N-E, 15% off. You'll enjoy it. That is it for the Drop Zone this week. We will see you back here in one week for a little bit of a President's Cup preview from Michael Bamberger and Alan Shipnuck. You love those guys. You know you're going to want to hear that one. Until then, I'm your host, Sean Zock.